may be seated. And I like what Marty prayed, change our hearts. And the word of God can't change our hearts. It takes the word of God to change our hearts through the spirit of God. Because as we were singing, great is our God. He's the great God that can change your life. The only God that can really change your heart through his word and through his spirit. The children may be excused for Sunday school. We're in John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. And next month when I speak, it'll be the last time in John. And I know that may not be a lot to, mean a lot to you, but it means a lot to me because I've been in this book for almost six years. Six years. And uh, I, I tell you, it's been a journey for me. I, I understand the book. I, um, I know the structure of the book. Um, one day Jehovah Witnesses came and they were talking to me about the divinity of God, like that he isn't God, and, but they didn't know who they were dealing with because I, I just finished preaching through all these years of John and, you know, you don't mess around with the scriptures. Not me, per se, but the scriptures. Anyway, we're in John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. And our text today, this is such a great text because I just love John the Baptist. I mean, he was such a great character role for us to imitate. I mean, you see his ministry now fading out. And you see Jesus Christ's ministry rising, coming to the forefront. John is, in this particular text, is completing the work he was sent to do by God himself. And that was to prepare the way for the Lord. To bring people to a baptism of repentance and to prepare the way for the Lord. And he prepared the way. And now he's getting two of his disciples that were attached to him. And he's pointing his disciples away from him. And he's pointing them to Jesus. Away from himself and to Jesus. The very one he prepared the way for. You know, you know what all John was? He was a channel. A conduit. God's message came through John. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes through you, the believer. Make no mistake about that. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. <clears throat> One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. Please illuminate our minds and our hearts to understand this text and how it applies to us today, Lord. 
We may not be John the Baptist, Lord, but we surely are witnesses for Christ. And we surely point people to Jesus. Help us to be encouraged tonight, as I was, to point people to Jesus, the Lamb of God. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in my 20s, yeah, that's right, okay. That was a long time ago. I played drums professionally, okay? So maybe, maybe a lot of you see me play up there once in a while, but I played professionally. And that sounds, professionally sounds better than it really is because I, I'm not saying I was a great drummer. I, don't, I, I never thought I was a great drummer. Oh, well, maybe in my ego days, but you know, now as I look back. But I played professionally. I made my living from it. And one of the things that was my responsibility besides playing drums was I was in charge of the sound system at that time. And I remember how fascinated I was with the sound system. The soundboard, the amplification, the wires, the microphones, etc. All that stuff. That the voice would go through the microphone, or if it was an instrument, it would go directly into the soundboard, and the voice's instrument signal would now be transmitted through the wires into the soundboard, get distributed through the channel, which made each mic or instrument directly for what that instrument needed and that voice needed, the, the, the tones and the effects. And, and it would go back out into the soundboard and go through some more wires into the amplifiers, through some more wires, into speakers and out to the audience. Just like what, what this is. Like, you hear me speaking, it happens in a split second. It goes through the, well, this is wireless, so it goes directly to the board, out through some wires, into the amplifiers back there, you don't know, but there's amplifiers back there, and out through the speakers. And of course, we have our great sound man, Frank, who takes care of the sound, but we do, he does a great job. But you see, the whole sound system is just a channel or a conduit for the voice of the instrument. It carries the particular sound to the audience. When you go to a concert, you're not paying attention to the sound equipment. You're paying attention to the voices and to the instruments. You're paying attention to them. That's what you came to listen to. The sound system just carries or just channels the band or the orchestra. The believer, you and me, are channels or conduits for the gospel. And that's the proposition for this text. God calls people to follow Jesus through you. If you're a believer, God calls Jesus to follow people through you. And as we've learned the past few times I preached, John was this great Old Testament last of the Old Testament prophets. He knew in his heart that his ministry was set up divinely by God. He knew that. And he was to be the preparer for the Messiah, Jesus. And his, and his ministry was now coming to an end. And he had no problem, and that's what I love about John, he had no problem pointing his own disciples that were attached to him away from himself and pointing them to Jesus. You see, it was his honor. It was his honor. There, there were ramifications or consequences for his actions of proclaiming truth, calling people to repentance and pointing them to Jesus. You know what the consequences were? There's two consequences. He lost his head. If you know anything about John the Baptist, John the Baptist, because he wasn't afraid to confront sin, he wasn't afraid to tell the truth, 
he lost his head. But the other consequence was, people followed Jesus. There will be ramifications when you proclaim the truth and point people to Jesus. There is no question about it. Some will be negative like rejection and persecution. We know that. But we need not to focus on them as a negative possibility, but actually view them as positive. I'm sure John did. Jesus said, you're blessed when you're persecuted. Rejoice and be glad because that's how they treated the prophets and great is your reward. I love the story in Acts when the apostles were imprisoned and beaten and stood before the council. You know why? Because they were doing signs and wonders, healing people and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They counted it an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. So the Bible is clear that persecution pretty much awaits the believer who proclaims the gospel. On the other hand, which we can deduce from this text... Some of the ramifications when you point people to Jesus is overwhelming. Is overwhelming joy. Why? Because the people you pointed to Jesus by way of the gospel, they're now following him. If that doesn't bring joy to your heart, what will? If you're a Christian, that would bring joy to your heart. Three points I want to bring to your attention which will allow your hearts to be filled with joy. Okay, the first point is through you. That's an honor. God uses you. Through you, people will follow Jesus. Point two. Through you, people who follow Jesus will tell others about him. And, And point three. Through you, people follow Jesus and guess what? Jesus now changes their character. And what we're going to see is this will bring great joy to your life and great reason to live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Point one, through you, people follow Jesus. Verses 35 through 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Well, the next day is the third day of John the Baptist bearing witness. The first day he testified to the Jews. We see that in verses 19 through 28. The second day he himself bore witness of Jesus, verses 29 to 34. And this time it was two of his disciples. And as soon as Jesus, or as soon as John sees Jesus passing by, he tells his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, as I said the last time, John constantly bows to the superiority of Jesus Christ. He points away from himself and he points to Jesus. And this is the climax of John's ministry. It now starts fading and Jesus becomes the focus of the rest of the gospel. Some of John the Baptist's disciples that were clinging to John, not the two that just followed him, but some of his other disciples in the third chapter of John, they seem to be a little envious because of Jesus' ministry, because now Jesus' ministry is baptizing more than John's. So they seem to be a little envious. These were devoted disciples of John, and they couldn't seem to 
understand, as one commentator said, transfer their allegiance to Jesus. So John the Baptist gave him this speech in the third chapter of John, verses 27 to 30. He said to them, a person, and you know, John learned how to be gentle too. He said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And John knew that it was God who gave him this ministry. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have seen, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And, and this is, these are astounding words. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I, and I without judging anyone in particular, uh, sometimes I see some of these ministries and I see Jesus' ministry decreasing and their ministry increasing, and that should never be. The focus is shifted from John to Jesus, and John, the gospel writer, made no bones about it. Sonship is not about sonship. It's about Jesus Christ. If we as leaders fail to point people to Jesus, whether it be for salvation or sanctification, we failed miserably. If you as a believer fail to point people to Jesus, you failed miserably. There's a great story in the Bible. In the synoptic in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that talks about Jesus going up to the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. Do you may remember that story? The Mount of Transfiguration. And when they were up in the mountain, Jesus was transfigured before their very eyes. He became dazzling white. That was what was happening was his inner divinity was now being exposed outwardly. God was giving these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, just a glimpse of his glory. As a matter of fact, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, discussing Jesus' departure. The disciples were awestruck. Now, I would be awestruck. These were Jewish boys who grew up, they knew the Torah, they knew the Old Testament scriptures, they knew about Moses, they knew about Elijah, and now they see Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Man, I would have been flipping out of my mind. I mean, that must have been awesome to see Mo Now, how do, they, how do they recognize that it was Moses? I don't know, maybe Moses was standing with the two stone tablets, and maybe uh, Elijah came in a, a fire, uh, a chariot of fire. I don't know. I don't know how they noticed him. But they understood that this was Moses who represented the law, and this was Elijah who re represented the prophets. And they're standing with Jesus. And as he was speaking, or as impetuous Peter, you know what impetuous means, he just says things without thinking, that was Peter. He said, Master, it is good we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as he was speaking, a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He didn't say, Listen to Moses, listen to Elijah. He said, Listen to him. You see, Peter did not understand that Moses and Elijah were not on the same level as Jesus. What Moses and Elijah did, they pointed to Jesus. If you go in the Old Testament, it pointed to Jesus. 
Are you pointing to Jesus? Or are you pointing to a ministry or a favorite preacher? You know, I know many of you here love Dr. John MacArthur. He's just a great minister, great preacher. But we're not pointing to Dr. John MacArthur. We point to Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says it clearly. Hebrews 12.2 Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. What does that say? Looking to who? To Jesus. We look to Jesus. Who are you looking at? Who are you pointing to? For John, the Baptist, it was Jesus. Back in our text, John sees Jesus walking by and he says something very simple. He says, behold the Lamb of God. This is the second time John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And I just want to talk about the Lamb of God first because it's very important. As I said the last time, and I'll repeat myself, the Old Testament used lambs as sacrifices. They, their shed blood was a type and a shadow of Jesus shedding his precious blood for our sins. I mean, that was the Lamb of God. It was, uh, or at least the, the Lamb in the Old Testament was a temporary covering uh, for people's sins until the final sacrificial lamb. The final sacrificial lamb? Jesus Christ. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. He was the Lamb of God. He was our substitute. He atoned for our sins. Instead of killing you and me, God used a substitute. The spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, in our place, a sacrificial substitutionary death. That's why, if you're a Christian, that's why you're here today. And that's why you're assured of heaven. Because of Jesus Christ's substitutionary death. Jesus was the Lamb of God who suffered and died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. He was the Lamb sent by God. The perfect, spotless Lamb. And this Lamb died and took away your sin. Now whether... When he said that, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb, whether the two uh, disciples understood that or not, I don't think so. I don't think they did understand it. But they seem to have instinctively started to follow Jesus. They may have understood it in part, but not fully. All John the Baptist said was, Behold the Lamb of God, and they began to follow him. He did a well job of preparing them because they began following Jesus. That was his goal, and his goal was successful. By the way, the two disciples uh, were Andrew, as verse 40 tells us. And even though the text doesn't say, the other disciples most believe was John who wrote this gospel. And I, and I believe the other gospel, I mean the other uh, disciple was John. It, it, both disciples, verse 37 tells us, followed Jesus, both of them. They immediately followed Jesus. Were they full-fledged disciples? I'm not sure at that point if they were. Uh, the word follow in Greek means to come, to go behind or after someone else. It can be used in a general sense. However, in the New Testament, the term is reserved for being a disciple of Christ, except when the sense is very general. So, once again, most of the time it's used as a follower of Christ. But sometimes it's used in a general sense. We don't know exactly how John was using it here. But even if it was in a general sense that these two disciples followed Jesus to examine him further, we know they eventually became true disciples because Matthew 4 tells us that. So you have these first two disciples, they started following Jesus. Verses 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, 
what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So you see, Jesus turns and sees them following him, and says not, who are you seeking, but what are you seeking? Now I don't think Jesus was asking this question because he was curious to find out what they were looking for. No, I, I think we must remember that Jesus is God in human flesh, and therefore he's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. So I don't think he didn't know. I think in his omniscience he knew. But I believe, what I believe he was doing here, he was challenging their motives. In other words, what are you really seeking, Andrew and John? What are you seeking? Richard Lenski, he's a Lutheran scholar, said Jesus' question bids them to look searchingly at their inmost longing and desires. And I think that's a a challenge to every one of us who seek the Lord. Why are you seeking him and what are you seeking him for? When I first came to faith in Christ, you know what my motive was? In following Christ, it was escaping hell. That was my motive. I wanted to escape hell. I knew I was on my way there. I knew I was a sinner. But I wanted to escape hell. Now as the Lord worked in my heart all these years, I want to love him, I want to worship him, and I want to adore him. The two disciples may have sought Jesus because they thought he would be their military conqueror to free them from the Roman oppression they were currently under. We know that. We know that. Here's the beauty of the grace and mercy of God. He knows our deepest longing and desires and doesn't criticize them, but is willing to change the truly repentant heart. Jesus challenges people. He challenges their motives, sometimes through you as a disciple, someone you may have led to Christ or through the preacher, or through the scriptures. When you lead someone to Christ and they begin to follow him, God can use, you, can use you to let them know, or to let them see why they are following Jesus. You can help them see that just to follow Christ is not enough. You can explain to them as the Lord leads what it means to follow Jesus. We must follow Christ for the right reasons. As one commentator said, to follow Christ for our own purposes is asking Christ to follow us, to align with us, to build our cause and not his. We must examine our motives for following him. Are they for his glory or for ours? Now, Jesus knew that these two, Andrew and John, were true seekers, but challenged their motives. As a matter of fact, throughout the gospel, Jesus always challenges the disciples' motives. You see that constantly. He's constantly challenging their motives. Why? Because Jesus knows what's in a man's heart. This side of heaven, and let this be encouraging to you, this side of heaven, there is no 100% pure motives, and you need now and then to be challenged. I need now and then to be challenged. You need now and then to be challenged. Because sometimes our motives are just not pure and they're just not right. And God in his infinite love and mercy for you as a believer, and and he shows it by sending his son to the cross, will challenge your motives because he wants to get you on the right track. He wants you to think correctly. Amen. 
Many times, people want to follow Jesus to get their marriages fixed, to find a good job, that God will help them with their health issues, and so on. But that's an opportunity for the Christian to encourage those who seek God for who he is. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting these things. We want strong marriages. We want good jobs. We want God to help us with our health issues. There's nothing wrong with those things. But we come to Christ for salvation and to glorify God. God knows what a person needs. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He didn't say, seek to have a good marriage first. He didn't say, seek to have a good job first. He didn't say, seek to have wealth first. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Back in our text, after uh, Jesus asked that question, what are you seeking, they responded without answering Jesus directly. I don't know why, but they didn't answer him directly. But Jesus in his omniscience knows everything, doesn't he? He says, they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, which translates teacher for his, John said that for his Gentile readers. It was a term of respect. They're saying teacher as a term of respect. Where are you staying? More than likely, they wanted to have more time with Jesus and to learn more about him. To have some private time with him and pick his brain. They wanted to pick Jesus' mind. And because they sought time with Jesus, guess what? They're going to learn about Jesus. And Jesus graciously invites them to see more than where he was staying. He he didn't want them to just see the location where he was staying. He wanted them to learn of who he was. But he invites them to spend time and to learn of him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor who are weary in labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus wants us to learn of him. No doubt that's exactly what happened because Andrew, in verse 41, tells us that he told his brother Simon Peter, we have found the Messiah. They spent time with Jesus. I don't know if they, if they understood that he was really the Messiah, but after spending time with Jesus, guess what? They knew he was the, smart, the Messiah. After you spend time with Jesus, guess what? You're going to know he is the Son of God, and he's going to take care of you. He's going to forgive your sins, and he's going to raise you up on the last day. Jesus knew that Peter or or Andrew and John were seekers of truth. Jesus himself said, If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or from whether I speak on my own. This is a story I read. That this guy was looking for a glass-fronted bookshelf and decided he might save himself some time and fuel if he used the internet instead of his car. So he goes on the internet and he says this, the results I discovered are often more than a little perplexing. And we've all experienced this, believe me. One, on one website, the page was headed products matching glass front bookshelves. And, and I gotta be honest, sometimes when I do that, when I'm looking for something, Forgive me for saying this, but I feel like taking my computer and throwing it through the window because you you can't get a straight answer. (laughs) So he said, 
naturally, I was hoping to find glass-fronted bookshelves. Instead, out of the 12 possible items for me to select from, there was a vacuum cleaner, an outdoor gazebo, a cello, a retractable crowd-controlled barriers, sports bags, a multi-purpose ladder, a baby carriage, and a motorized folding arm awning. And he goes on to say, that, it would, that, that was very frustrating. We know that. You know, we've all been there. But he goes on to say this, and I like this. He says, God is much more reliable. And then he quotes uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, his promise is that we find them if we search him with all our hearts. You will meet people that seem to want to know God, but are really not genuine seekers of God. And then you will meet people that are genuine seekers of God. When the two disciples left Jesus, they knew this Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah who finally, finally arrived. This is the one they were waiting for. They were seekers of truth. They sought the Lord and found him and knew what he said was from God. And they learned. And they learned. When people genuinely follow Jesus, their motives will be challenged and they will learn about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And they will find out that it is God's good pleasure to give the believer the kingdom of God. Point one. Through you people follow Jesus. Their motives will be changed. They will learn about Jesus. Point two. Through you people who follow Jesus will tell others about Jesus. Now if that's not giving you joy that just the fact that people are following Jesus, I don't know what will. But this will even increase your joy when you see people that you led to Christ telling other people. Verses 41 or verse 40 to verse 42, the first half of it. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. A little time with Jesus, and Andrew is convinced that Jesus is the Christ, and immediately goes and tells others, We have found the Messiah. Andrew, no doubt, didn't understand the full implications of the Messiah. I'm sure... Excuse me, he didn't understand Isaiah 53, suffering Messiah. All he knew that this was the one that was promised. That's all he knew. And the reason why I say that, because if you're reading through the Gospels, every time Jesus said, I gotta, I'm going to suffer and die at the hands of the, the, the leaders and be raised on the third day, they didn't seem to understand that. So I doubt over here they understood Isaiah 53. But they knew he was the one who was promised. But in time, Andrew and the rest of the true disciples would have a greater understanding of Jesus, the suffering and the glorious Christ. Jesus began to teach them. Even in the preliminary stages of following Jesus, Andrew tells others about Jesus. You don't have to be a seasoned Christian to tell others about Jesus. When I was first introduced to Christ... And I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was a changed man. I immediately started telling others about Jesus. My family knew. My friends and relatives knew. You couldn't shut me up. I mean, that's just the way it was. I didn't understand much, but I understood who Jesus was, that he was God in human flesh. I understood that he forgave my sins. I understood that I could rely on the Bible. These are the things I understood. You see, someone told me about Jesus, and I began to follow him and to tell others about him. And I want to encourage you today. Through you, people who follow Jesus will tell others. 
about Jesus. The next thing Andrew does after he tells his brother about Jesus is he brings him to Jesus. He physically brings Peter to Jesus. It is as if Andrew said to Peter, listen, I want you to meet this Messiah yourself. You and I can tell people about Jesus, but we cannot physically bring them to Jesus. It it is an impossibility because his physicality right now is at the right hand of the Father. So how does one bring, how do you bring people to Jesus? Simple. The scriptures. The gospel. Jesus is found in the scriptures. Jesus told the rebellious Jewish leaders in his day in John 5.39, he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And he goes on to say something astounding. And he says, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Through you, people who follow Jesus will tell others about him and they will bring people to him, through the scriptures, through the gospel. Look at the example of Andrew. He told his brother Peter about Jesus and took him to him. Peter's life was changed dramatically, as we will see in a few minutes. You will never know the effect you have on the kingdom of God unless you obey God out of love for him and bring people to Jesus. I'm going to show you something in the story. I'm going to read a story to you. It's a chain of events that led to Billy Graham's conversion. As of 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience, including radio and television broadcast, topped 2.2 billion. Now that's a lot. That means that approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from Billy Graham's mouth. That's hard for anybody to wrap their mind around. Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history, but do you know who shared the gospel with them? Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, shared the gospel with a young man who worked in a shoe store. He was a Sunday school teacher. He went to a shoe store, one of his students, and began to explain the gospel to him. This young man received the gospel. You know who this young man was? D.L. Moody. In the shoe store on Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with thousands professing Christ to his ministry. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a professional ball player had the day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings. And thus, the professional ball player, Billy Sunday, was converted. Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. Then this young man named Billy Graham went to Mordecai Ham's meeting, heard the gospel, and was converted. The chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for the boys. Next time you are tempted to give up, please remember Sunday school teacher, who was a nobody, Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was honored by the Lord. I mean, you don't know who you're talking to. But be faithful. Share Christ like somebody shared Christ with you.
Point one. Through you, people follow Jesus. Their motives will be challenged. They will learn about Jesus. Point two. Through you, people who follow Jesus will tell others about him. And they will bring people to Jesus. And the final point three. Through you, people follow Jesus. And he changes the character. Verse 42, the second half of it. Jesus looked at him. He's looking at Simon, and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus gives this penetrating gaze at Simon. And in his omniscience, that he's all-knowing, gives him a new name. Simon is a common Hebrew name. He tells him, You shall be called Cephas. That's an Aramaic name. It's a Greek word for Peter. Peter in Greek is Petros, which means rock. Really? Peter? Did you ever read Peter's life? Peter the rock? Impetuous Peter? The one who usually stuck his foot in his mouth? The one who had the nerve to rebuke Jesus because he said he was going to suffer and die and be killed? Peter couldn't have that. The very one who denied Jesus three times? This is the Peter... Jesus is naming rock? Yeah. That's the Peter. That's the very Peter. Jesus gave him that name because over time, that's what he was to become. The rock. Christ would transform him into a new person. Jesus would change his character. Dr. Kenneth Gangel said he was hardly a rock when Jesus called him, but he became that after Pentecost. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. He became an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one of the three named pillars of the early church in Jerusalem. Peter's leadership role in the early church dominates the first half of the book of Acts. He was the first Christian missionary to the Gentiles, a Christian missionary to the Jews. He wrote two epistles, 1 Peter for suffering Christians and 2 Peter to warn against false teachers and and for Christians to grow in their faith. That's the Peter. That was denying Jesus. He was impetuous. He stuck his foot in his mouth. This is because God knows us and God knows what he's going to make us into. And also, history tells us that he became a Christian martyr in Rome. Yeah, Peter was a rock because of the transforming power of Christ through the Holy Spirit in his life. Jesus looked beyond Simon and saw he would become Peter, the rock. Every believer has a change character. Everyone, we have our characters change. When Christ called you, he saw what you would become. If you're a true believer, you may have the same name, it didn't change your name, but you have a new character. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. This is speaking about the new birth. When a person comes to faith in Christ, the old values, systems, priorities, what you falsely believe, love are different. You now have a new value system. You've been given a heart that lives for God and Christ in his kingdom and eternity. Doesn't mean... It's perfected now in this life. It just means we're on that road to perfection. Until that day when we meet Jesus face to face. And we shed this body. This sinful body. And he gives us the new body. 
the glorious body, and we would be perfect then. Certainly, personality traits may still be there, but what now characterizes you is the new created life given to you by God through the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to carefully. Besides glorifying God, there should be nothing more exciting to us as believers when we share the gospel with someone and they receive Christ. And through the days, weeks, months, and years, you witness them changing. Now, I don't usually do this and I don't want to embarrass anyone, but there's a woman sitting here, Mary Steyl, who I've witnessed almost 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 9 years ago, came to faith in Christ, and I've seen and I've watched her character change over the years. I've watched it. I knew what she was before because I used to listen to her in the lunchroom. I won't repeat some of the things she said. <laughs> She's changed. She's a changed woman. And I want you to know, you know, the Bible says give honor where honor is due. This woman comes from Long Island Sundays to be with us here. She fights through the Belt Parkway traffic. I mean, if that isn't temptation enough to say I quit and she's still here we love Mary through you people follow Jesus and he changes their character so let me conclude here let me bring let me review the three points point one through you people follow Jesus that alone is awesome point two through you people follow Jesus tells, tell others about Jesus how awesome is that I mean, you, you, you share the gospel with someone and they tell someone and then they start telling others about Jesus. And then point three, through you people follow Jesus and he changes their character. So they're not only following Jesus, that you point people to Jesus, the people that you point to Jesus are not only following Jesus, but they're telling others about him and you're watching them be transformed through your very eyes. It's Jesus they follow and depend on, not you, not me. So let me ask you two questions in conclusion. Are you happy when people you led to the Lord stop making a fuss over you and make a bigger fuss over their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You could say, well, come on, John. Of course, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised how the human flesh gets jealous and envious of that. Are you happy when they stop depending on you and they cling to Jesus? Yes, making disciples may bring some dependence on you, especially when they're new Christians, and that's perfectly fine. I clung to some of my, the people that led me to the Lord. I had questions. I wanted to know more about Jesus. You know, but I, so I clung to them. But as I grew in Christ... And, you know, they let me go. And I'm still great friends with them today. And they know I'm a pastor now. And they sometimes seek my wisdom and counsel. You see, they weren't envious of me. They pointed me to Jesus, and they allowed me to grow and flourish. It's like a child clings to his mother until he or she is old enough to be on their own. It doesn't mean that he or she doesn't love the mother anymore, but the focus is now shifted. God calls people to follow Jesus through you. He does not call people to follow you. Be careful of becoming an idol. In Acts, and I'll 
conclude with this one story. In Acts, when Paul and Barnabas healed a crippled man by the power of God in the city of Lystra, you may remember that in Acts 14, the people there wanted to worship them. But they begged the people not to because they said to them, we are also men. They understood like John the Baptist that they were only vessels of God's mercy and message. So let me end with one exhortation. Let John the Baptist's life teach you to be humble witness that points people to Jesus away from yourself so they can follow him, tell others about him, and have their character changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't follow John the Baptist, but what what we do is we imitate his life. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We don't cling to someone so much as if they were the Savior. But God, the main thought here is we are vessels. We are conduits. And people follow Jesus through our message, through the message of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, not to be ashamed of this glorious gospel. Help us to go out and tell others. Use us. Let us be those vessels of the gospel of Christ so we could see a lost, dying world come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we could see them begin to tell others. And we could see them begin to change. God, it's your doing, not ours. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for using us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.